At this time, brothers and sisters, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 11. Um, To give you clarification, I I did alter the text a little bit. We're going to only read verses 29 through 32. But to give honor to the word of the Lord, we'll stand together as we read His holy word, the holy word of our holy God. Luke 11, starting in verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let's pray together. Thank you, our glorious Lord, for the greatness of your Son, even Jesus our Lord. We thank you for the greatness of his gospel, and we pray that you would help us to exalt him, to put our faith in him, and to lift him up for all to see. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I was doing some reading on a a jewelry website concerning how to test diamonds. You know, I think there's actually 13 tests that you can put on a diamond to see if it's real or not, to see if it's a a, a real diamond or something like a zircon, one of these imitation um, man-made diamonds. First one is, I'm only going to give you a few, but the first one is you take a glass of water, you fill it about three quarters full, and you place the diamond gently on the top. And if it's real, because of the high density of the diamond, it'll sink real fast and go to the bottom. But sometimes if it's a zircon or one of these fake diamonds, it'll either float on top or it'll float just below the surface of the water. Or it'll descend very slowly. But a a diamond will sink rather fast. That's one. Another one is you could take some pliers. I guess you could take a diamond ring with it, but you you might tarnish it or make it black. But you could take the diamond and you could heat it up with a cigarette lighter for 40 seconds and then drop it in a glass of cold water. If it's a true diamond, it won't shatter. But if it's fake, it'll just shatter to pieces. Now, don't try this at home, please. Especially those of you who have nice rings and diamonds. Don't try it at home. By the way, they, they do make a different new device called a diamond selector where it's all computerized and you could just put a little pinpoint on it and it gives you a little light and it lights up and tells you whether it's real or not. I think they're doing that nowadays more than rather the cigarette lighter. Um, But in a similar fashion, Scripture gives us signs, indicators that attest or indicate that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal living Son of God. Similar 
to these kind of tests here, but I would say even more glorious. Earlier in Luke 11, Jesus freed a man from demon possession. And when he was freed from demon possession, he was no longer mute. And many were praising God, but others of the leadership of the Jews accused Jesus of being uh, in league with the devil, a son of Beelzebub. They said in verse 15, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Now this was blasphemy because they were calling the work of God, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the work of the devil. And to answer that, one of the key verses in prior is this, in verse 20. He says, if I cast out, you could maybe translate that since, Let's translate since. Since I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's what happened. The kingdom of God came upon them because the eternal Son of God in the flesh was there. The true, long-awaited promised Messiah promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So Jesus gave other arguments for why they were wrong and why he was not ministering according to the devil. He was saying his kingdom cannot be divided against itself, can it? But he also said that he is the strong man who dominates the stronger man who is well-armed and has his armor and his weapons. And Jesus comes in and disarms him, binds him, and plunders his house. I believe that's what the testimony of the New Testament teaches, that Jesus is the one stronger than the strong man who dominates him. Now, what's really interesting is that someone mentions something and demands something of Jesus before the, the foul accusation. Look back in verse 16. It says, Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Jesus doesn't answer this immediately. He answers the more pressing blasphemy charge. But then he goes back in today's text, and that's what he's doing. He's answering those who are testing him, demanding a sign from heaven. And that's the context in which we get the verses 29 through 32. Now, to study today's text, to grasp, to the, grasp today's text, what I want you to come to understand and believe is that Jesus is the one who fulfilled the sign of Jonah. You must believe that Jesus is the one who fulfilled the sign of Jonah. You'll see this in two main parts. Uh, the importance of the sign of Jonah. And secondly, those who will rise to condemn. Let's look at this first main point. The importance of the sign of Jonah. Verses 29 and 30. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. First notice this. Jesus is pointing out that these people were wicked because they were seeking some sort of sign from heaven. They refused to listen, I believe, because their hearts were hardened and their ears were closed and their eyes were blind and they refused to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. In John 10, 25 and following, Jesus says this, 
The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews. That they didn't hear because they were not his sheep. And they couldn't hear or receive because they were spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. Now, some of those who were Jesus' critics at this time, they might have said, well, Jesus, we, I think we would listen to you. We would really listen to you if we saw something magnificent, maybe some extraordinary sign from heaven. Now, something show-stopping, like maybe the moon turning to blood, or maybe the sun standing still for 24 hours, or maybe the mountains melting like wax, some magnificent catastrophic event. That's what they were looking for. But what's strange is that Jesus was performing many, many glorious signs and wonders before this. Supernatural works that already testified that he is the Christ. He healed many. He did a marathon healing starting from sundown to sunup, healing many and casting out many demons earlier. He raised the dead twice in the, so far in this gospel. He fed 5,000. Again, he cast out other demons. But this wasn't good enough for them because they were a wicked, hard-hearted, spiritually blind generation. Now, it's essential at this point to, to point out what is this sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 11. He said that no sign would be given to that evil generation but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. I'm sorry, that's not verse 11. That's verse 29. Uh, just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Maybe you never thought of Jonah as a sign. Well, Jonah was a messenger. He was a messenger of God to tell the people of Nineveh of a coming calamity, lest if they did not repent, they would be utterly and totally destroyed. But that still doesn't give us a clear answer. They did repent. Many of them did repent in dust and ashes, and God did spare them from the destruction. But the, the clear answer for what Jesus is talking about comes from Matthew 12, verse 40. It's there in your outline. That gives a greater clarity what Jesus said. He said in that verse 40 of chapter 12 of Matthew, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What this is telling us, the sign of Jonah you could say, is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is the preeminent, the supreme sign that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Now, as we read earlier, 
all the works of Christ testify that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. But in the New Testament, this miraculous resurrection is mentioned more than any other miraculous work of Christ, especially through the epistles. And if you look at New Testament sermons, which there are a decent amount of New Testament sermons, almost every New Testament sermon has a mention of the resurrection of Jesus in it. By putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your faith will be credited to you as righteousness in the sight of God, according to Romans 4, 24 and following. But you must believe in him who raised our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised, you could say because of, for the purpose of, our justification. My brothers and sisters, there is victory over sin and there is victory over death through the resurrection of Christ. That is what the resurrection teaches us. You could say first and foremost that the resurrection is proof that the Father accepted the sacrifice of His Son because He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He raised them from the dead. But also, this victory of Christ is a victory over sin and the power of sin. It teaches us that the power of the resurrection is that same power of the Holy Spirit, that same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you to new life and new obedience and growth in grace and sanctification in Christ And if you are his, you are an heir with Christ. Keep in mind that when Jesus was raised from the dead and his holy gospel made effective unto us because of the resurrection, he came to deliver us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, according to Romans 6.14. Yes, we always will fight with sin, but those of us who are in Christ will grow in grace. By his resurrection, Jesus became the first fruits of those who are asleep, according to 1 Corinthians 15. For since by a man, that is Adam, came death, and by a man, that is Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Again, 1 Corinthians 15. In light of this glorious gospel of the resurrection, some still refused Christ, and some still in our day refuse Christ, even despite clear teaching on the holy gospel and the resurrection of Christ. That leads us to our next point. There were some at this time that Jesus said would rise to condemn the unbelieving. Look at verses uh, 31 through 32. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah 
And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, some of you may ask, well, what in the world is the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh doing condemning anyone? Isn't that God's prerogative? Isn't that God's place? What God ought to be doing? God should be the one condemning. So what are they doing here? Now, to correctly answer that, you have to look at a key passage from Matthew 25. Let's keep our place, but also turn to Matthew 25. We're not going to read the whole section, but I'm going to read some key parts. Verses 31 through 33 give us an overview. Matthew 25, 31 and following. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right, and the goats on the left. So the one giving authority to judge here is Christ. And to the sheep on his right, he will say, verse 34, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 34. But to the goats on the left, he will later say, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This text clearly says that Christ is the one who's condemning and Christ is the one who is giving a commendation to the believers to then accept them and receive them in the glory. So why does our text mention the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh rising up to have a place, a role in the judgment of anyone? Again, that's God's prerogative. Now, the answer comes from 1 Corinthians 6, Two and following. Paul taught, Paul taught he, this. He says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Now, rather than those who are blaspheming Jesus and saying that he's doing the works of Beelzebub, this text is telling us the Queen of the South and those men of Nineveh who repented and received the preaching of Jonah, they will stand in God's judgment rather than these unbelieving Jews. And I believe that text from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 also teaches that all the saints who have passed on before us, all those who have passed on, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, all the minor prophets, the major prophets, the apostles, and even your believing ancestors. All the saints will have a place and a role in the condemnation of the unjust. Now keep in mind, we won't be the ones making the decisions or making the judgments, but we will stand as witnesses in agreement with God and praising God for his just judgment. That's, I believe, the place that we will have. Again, this text teaches that the preeminent sign is the resurrection, the sign of Jonah, but also 
This text teaches that Jesus and his gospel are preeminent as well. Look, look again at verses 31 and 33. He says, But when the Son of Man comes with all the angels with him, he will sit on his glory. I'm sorry, uh, 31 and 33. Uh, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation and at the judgment and condemn him. But then later on he says, Something greater than Solomon is here. And he says later at the end of verse 32, Something greater than Jonah is here. Here, Jesus is saying that he is greater than these, but also he's greater than their father Abraham. In John 8, those of the Jews said that he was a devil because he placed himself as above father Abraham. But Jesus says, Abraham looked forward to see my day and was glad. I, don't, I think that means he's greater than Abraham, don't you? Hebrews 1, 5 tells us that the Son of God is told of this in, in Hebrews 1, verse 5. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Clear evidence that Jesus is God. Otherwise, he would not be worshipped by angels. There's no one greater than that, worshipped by angels. The greatness of Jesus Christ is equal with that of the Father, the Son, um, the Father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus uh, said, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, number six, says there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Brothers and sisters, put your faith in this Jesus Christ who fulfilled the sign of Jonah by being raised from the dead. The importance of this sign is that it is the preeminent sign that shows that he is the eternal Son of God. The other signs and wonders show him, point to him as Messiah and the eternal Son of God. But this is the sign that demonstrates he is victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil and those who will rise and condemn unbelievers include people such as the Queen of the South who went to see the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon's God, but also the men of Nineveh. And all the saints in glory. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be there to stand beside Christ on that great day as well. And you could only be there by putting your faith that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, that he's died for your sins, and that he was raised for your justification. That's the only means by which you may be saved. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, thank you for the demonstration of your wonder and your might and your power. That you raised your glorious Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord, from the dead. Help us, we pray, to live not for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again for us.
Give us grace and faith to believe and receive these things from your holy word. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.